Welcome to Questions That Matter. This is a podcast of the C.S. Lewis Institute, and I'm your host, Randy Newman. And today, my conversation partner is Glenn Scrivener, a um, friend, and we've worked together on a couple of conferences. And uh, Glenn is an author, a speaker, an evangelist, the director of Speak Life, a ministry we're going to talk a bunch about in this podcast. And we're going to talk about the way the arts play a part in our spiritual formation and in our outreach. Glenn, welcome back to Questions That Matter. So glad to be back. Yeah, a repeat customer, so to speak. Um, Well, when you were here before, we talked a lot about your book, The Air We Breathe, and I so highly recommend it. We're going to put a link in the show notes about it. Um, It talks about the fact that the very world we live in and all the values that we hold dear have been shaped by Christianity, whether people acknowledge that or not, whether people know that or not. But um, I want to explore another aspect of things you and I have talked about. And uh, this ministry that you lead, Speak Life, uh, involves the arts a great deal. People come and they learn about how to make film and how to be better at their art. Uh, Tell us about Speak Life and the, the mission and vision of Speak Life and how that fits in with what we're talking about. Well, we kind of believe that what you love, you share. And I think that works at a level of social media. In social media, um, things go viral because what people like, they hit the share button or the retweet button and out it goes to their circles. And then uh, there are ripple effects out to the world. But that is kind of the way mission works as well. That when Jesus tells, you know, 11 guys, go and make disciples of all nations, it ripples out from those guys and then their contacts and then their contacts. And really, mission happens from the overflow. It happens from the overflow of the heart. Jesus says in Matthew 12, verse 34, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And then as you flow over to the next person, they fill up and overflow to the next person and to the next person and to the next person. And Speak Life is really a a ministry that seeks to capture hearts. And it seeks to capture the hearts of the church, first of all, that we might fill Christians with the good news of Jesus and fill them to overflowing so that Christians uh, will share that that great love of Jesus with others. So we've always had a, a massive view of the heart, of the imagination, of the affections, and of the way people are captivated by the truth. We, we don't just assent to truths. We fall in love with the truth. We are Mm. compelled Mm. by the truth. We are drawn to the truth um, because you can't really speak of the truth without speaking of goodness and beauty at the same time. And so Speak Life is always trying to raise the banner of Jesus in ways that, that paint him in biblical colors, in truthful colors, in good colors, and in beautiful colors. Oh man, I love that. So, so how do um, how do you do that through Speak Life toward the church? Let's start there before we go to outreach. How? What are some ways you're trying to engage the hearts, the affections, the imaginations of Christians? I think we first became um, we we were first on people's radars. Uh, when we started doing seasonal videos uh, about Christmas and Easter and Halloween and Remembrance Day, which is like our Veterans Day um, in the States. And 
uh, I've always been a bit of a poet, and so putting poetry um, with some music behind it and um, captivating imagery, these videos kind of, they did well. I, I first did a, a video back in 2011 about the King James Bible and its impact on the English language, and I just identified 100 phrases that have passed into common parlance hmm. in English, and I put them into rhyming couplets in three minutes, and away we went, and we, <laughs> we had a video. And, you know, As anyone could do. <laughs> well, it was, I've always written poetry. I've always, I've always loved it. And, and it just, as I was thinking about how to convey the impact of the Bible, it just came out in poetry. It's, ah. you know, I'm, I'm a big believer that creativity is not about, um, you start with the world and you start with the bridge that you're going to build. And then you figure out a methodology. Um, for me, creativity is always about starting with what is true about Jesus dwelling on him in your heart and then whatever overflows i guess that's the medium and whoever it connects with i guess that is who your art was always going to connect with um i, I think we get things backwards when we try and start with the audience and then we reverse engineer what kind of medium will reach that particular audience and then it becomes uh, very artificial i think and so yeah, that's, that's what um, I was as i was meditating on scripture and its effects uh, on the world and as i just happened to write down a whole bunch of phrases that have passed into common parlance it just it just came out of me god forbid the powers that be forgetting the beginning of the kjv it's it's put words in our mouth for 400 years Turn the world upside down, so here's my three cheers. As a sign of the times, I'll sing its praises. Shout from the rooftops 100 phrases. Uh, miserable comforters may cast dispersions. I'll do this in remembrance of the authorized version. And away it went. And, and the video like did, did really well. And, and I think Christians um, were kind of, uh, I think they were impacted by it and the turn of phrase. And if you had have asked me at the time why people liked it, I probably would have had quite a dismissive view of the effect of poetry on people. I think I would have said, well, the human mind likes patterns, and so it's a psychological trick. Uh, I've, I've hacked people's psychology by putting it in rhyming couplets. And I, I, I think a few <laughs> years ago- By the way, I would have that's an amazingly unpoetic explanation of your I art know, form. <laughs> <laughs> the poet turns dusty philosopher on us. Um, yeah, exactly. Okay. It's so, a mind but, hack. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, something tells me people like poetry for other reasons. What? So where yeah. have you landed? Why, why do you think poetry grabs us the way it does? Well, like if you read the Bible, uh, you'll notice that it's, it is just um, poetic from first to last. You know, Isaiah or Isaiah. See, I'm contextualizing for the Americans here. I, in Isaiah <laughs> the prophet. That's, that's the evangelist that I am, Randy. Um, in Isaiah the prophet, it's 80% poetry, which is just mm -hmm. a stunning thing to think, mm -hmm. isn't it? When, when you think of the problems in his day and the ab absolute dissolution of the people of God, their idolatry, um, the, the exile that was just smashing into them and Nebuchadnezzar, you know, first the Assyrians come and then the Babylonians come and and then the, but the people of God are, are more of an enemy than, than any Babylonian army ever is and, and the, the filth and the putridness of idolatry. And how does Isaiah fight it with poetry, mm. with just chapter after chapter after chapter of, of, of poetry? And, mm. you know, when you, when you look at scripture, you, you see how, in a sense, 
prose is like stones, but poetry is like gemstones. It's it's kind of, it's okay. it's words that are glorified, words that are <clears throat> raised up to a to a different level of of kind of polish and um of of beauty, really. That it's it's words beautified. And when you have a theology of what the word can do, I mean the word can create heaven and earth. Um, what can our words do? Our, our words can build world, worlds, and they do build worlds. And investing in words and raising them up to the, the, the glorious stature that God has for them is not a brain hack. Right? It's, mm. not, it, it's, not, it's not a way, uh, it's a, a hel- helpful mnemonic that people <laughs> find memorable. Um, it, it is to use words most according to their true nature, which is to build a world that people might inhabit, that they can look around and see things afresh. That's that's what words are meant to do. And we should invest in that, I would say. Mm, boy, oh boy, oh boy. Um, <clears throat> now, of course, the, 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 uh, I'm, I'm a teaching fellow. That's the title they've given me at the C.S. Lewis Institute. So the, the teacher can't, can't resist saying, uh, but we do like prose. We, we, prose is good. Yeah. Uh, Paul's, yeah. Paul's didactic letters were not poetry. They were prose. And that's very, very important in God's word. But it is astonishing how much poetry there is in the Bible and where those poems or that poetry shows up. Um, mm. For example, it's amazing how much the book of Job is poetic, pretty much all of it, except for a little bit of a prose intro and a little bit of a prose conclusion at the end, not even a conclusion, a a final statement. But what does that do? The, the, The poetry of Job doesn't just convey intellectual facts about the nature of suffering. In fact, if that's its purpose, it's not really very good at it. But it it arrests the emotions. It grabs a hold. Mm. It stimulates our emotions, so that the poetry helps us feel. I believe a righteous kind of indignation and anger at those three stupid friends who keep saying foolish things. If you just said, and then these friends came along and said this, you'd go, "Oh, okay, I, I got that." But it goes on and on and on in the poetry, and and you just want to say, "Oh, please stop talking." And then when Job expresses his pain in poetry, you you have to grab t- tissues. You, you have you start crying. It's like, oh, this pain is so deep, and that's the purpose of the book not not to answer intellectual questions. It it does answer some intellectual questions, but far more it stimulates the emotions. Anyway, I'm sorry, I'm doing more talking. It's supposed to be the other way around. You're the guest, but. Um, no, I, I, I agree entirely. And, and, I, and you mentioned about Paul. I mean, it's, what's fascinating about Paul in the epistles is sometimes he grabs for poetry, and so he will use uh, song, for instance, in Philippians yes. 2 and in, insert yes. it. But even when he's being at his most didactic, you know, I, I usually do this exercise in groups of people, and, and I say to people, so where, where is the gospel laid out most systematically? So mm. that you know, so that you've just got the absolute kernel of truth right there, and and you know, where where is the most prosaic, uh, you know, book of the Bible? And people will say Romans. You know, that's that's where you go to see the gospel of God unpacked. And then I'll say, and if you were to pick a chapter, 
where the heart of the cross, the heart of the good news is kind of proclaimed, where would you go? And people always say Romans 3. And I was like, well, which particular paragraph will you go in Romans 3? They'll go Romans 3 verse 21. And then I take them to Romans 3 verse 21 and I say, okay, here is Paul at his most prosaic. This, this is teaching that is at its most didactic. And he begins with, or you, you can go to verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He takes you to the archery range. Because sin as falling short is a term that's taken from archery. You've got a target, you fall short of it. So first you're at the archery range, and then verse 24, and are justified freely by his grace. Where has he taken you now? He's taken you to the law court, right, mm, where you've got okay. the not guilty verdict. You've been declared righteous. Um, you're justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Where has he taken you now? He's just taken you to the slave market where mm. your shackles have been taken off you. The, the mm. payment has been made and you're now liberated. You're free. And then he says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. Where has he taken you now? He's taken you to the temple where mm. the Lord has climbed off his throne, put himself on the altar and died as a propitiatory sacrifice for your sins. And you're like, oh, my goodness, you've got whiplash going from the archery range for, to the law court, to the slave market, to the temple. And this is the most didactic, prosaic that Paul ever is. And he cannot help but use analogies and just immerse you in little word picture after little word picture after little word picture. And, and this is the way we tick. This is the way language works. This is the way evangelism should be. It should not simply be the, the offering of one truth after another. It should be the, the creation of worlds through your words mm. that you immerse people in this other universe and you say, look around, this, this is what real life really is. And that's, that's what I think evangelism is. Mm, man. And, um, you know, I, I'm pretty sure I've said this a whole bunch of times on this podcast, but, but this is what people say is the qualitative difference, the, the massive qualitative difference between C.S. Lewis's evangelism in Mere Christianity and almost every other evangelistic book that's ever been put together, in that Lewis threw in dozens and dozens and dozens of these analogies of not just that this argument is true, and he has lots of that for sure, but if this argument is true, here's what it would feel like. And he just sprinkles all of his writings with images of that, you know, becoming a Christian is like turning full speed astern. It's like statues becoming real life creatures. It's like someone falling down on their sword. It's mm. uh, falling at the feet of your captor and on and on and on with these mental images so that people, people grasp the truth of it with their affections and their emotions before their intellect or at the yes. same moment of their intellect. So. Yes. And you're right. We've we've made it very much propositional. Listen, I have I have four truths to tell you. They're all true. Just boom, 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 boom. Now, yeah. do you agree with all of them? And and again, I have to be careful. We're we're not saying that the intellect is uh, in unvaluable or not used by God. Of course, it is. Um, mm. Jesus spoke words. <laughs> he mm. drew upon logic and argument to make his points. But we've made it solely that. Anyway, I'm sorry, I'm preaching. 
Tell us about yeah. Speak Life. What what kind of activities do you do in your ministry to train people to be artists and filmmakers and poets uh, for the mm. advance of the gospel? We'll get into training in a minute because one of the things we do really connects with what you've just said about um, these images and these analogies, these pictures that we we give. Because a, a massive thing that we're doing at Speak Life at the moment is called Three Two One. It was my first evangelistic book back in 2014, and uh, it exists as a whole bunch of videos, and it exists as courses that churches can run, but we're really wanting to make it an online experience where people can picture what it is to be in Christ. And uh, so every uh, episode of of the eight episodes begins with me saying, picture this. Hmm. And I, you know, the the first analogy is, picture this. A woman wakes up on a, on a space station with no idea how she got there and no memory of her life before. And you're like, oh, okay. And then what happens? Well, she meets this other guy, she meets this other girl, and, and they all have these uh, arguments about what is the nature of the space station. And then a rescuer arrives, and that changes the conversation on the ship. And of course, that's an analogy for what life is like on planet Earth. Here we are. We don't know why we're here. Uh, we have no memory of life before. And then the rescuer arrives. And whatever you make of the rescuer, he certainly changes the conversation, doesn't he? And that's sort of my way of introducing Jesus, you know, into the conversation. But every single episode is picture this, picture this, picture this, picture uh-huh. this. And so it's, it's a way of absorbing people uh, into the, the Christian story, into the gospel. And, and 321 stands for the threeness of God, that is the Trinity, the two-ness of the world. We are split between Adam and Christ. And then the oneness of you. Uh, we were born one with Adam, be one with Jesus. Um, but as you take people on this journey, you're immersing people in story after story. And we we would love it to be. I mean, you know, it, it's um, it's it can never match mere Christianity. Um, but we would love it to be, you know, a mere Christianity for the 21st century. And and therefore, you know, since mere Christianity began. As radio broadcasts, uh, we we feel like a mere Christianity for the 21st century needs to take advantage of the the media that people are consuming and the ways that people are understanding things these days. And so, uh, it's this sort of online experience that people can have uh, as they journey through that. So um, that's that's one massive thing. We we would love to see this go go very um, go very far and wide as the most shareable Christianity 101. That we can that we can come up with anyway, um, and mm. so that's that's kind of three, two, one as a thing that's that's out there. People can kind of check that out at uh, speaklife.org.uk. We're going to soft launch it uh, in September, but people can test the prototypes even now and give us feedback on oh, uh, how they're finding that journey. Great, good, good, um, good. Well, keep going about. Um, so you have the, these programs where people actually come to you there in the UK for a week or much longer, and like tell us about those programs. Yeah, so we've got the Foundry, which is our, our training program, and we want to forge evangelists and evangelistic resources together. So we love to have people in the room together where we can study together. We can go on mission together, and we can create resources that bless the church and reach the world. So uh, there's a year out program, and you can come to us as as like a student and people coming out of school or coming out of college. Um, it's mainly designed for people at that life stage. Although we've had people who are married with children in their 30s come come and do the year out program. 
but uh, they can come to us for 10 months. We're on the south coast of England. It's called the Sunshine Coast, Randy. Um, but everything, everything is relative. I'll just, I'll warn your listeners right now. Everything is relative, but relative <laughs> to the rest of the UK, we are on so the Sunshine Coast. So it's not the Sunshine Coast of Australia. It's not. No, they, that's a little when different. they when they say the Sunshine Coast, they're not joking. But they're okay, but joking. yours is you can hear oh, your skin yeah. audibly crackling there. But uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yours is the Sunshine Coast, where I'll the sun it. shines for two or three days in a row. Yeah, I know. Maybe it's a scorcher. I'll have you know, Randy. It's twenty-one degrees Celsius here, which I don't know what's that kind of like low, like mid seventies or something Fahrenheit. Mm. It's a scorcher. Absolute scorcher, Randy. Huh. Uh, well, I'm in yeah. Austin, Texas, where it's 102, yeah. and it's going to be that until the rest of time. <laughs> uh, so, um, <laughs> okay, we can't talk about the weather. Yeah, yeah. Um, so people can come. People can come to the Sunshine Coast and uh, spend 10 months with us. And if you love evangelism, you love creativity, and you love theology, we're at the intersection of evangelism, creativity, theology. And um, you can come to us for 10 months. Or if you just want to come to us for a week, you can go to speaklife.org.uk. And there are various intensive weeks where we do all that great stuff, but we try to cram it into five days and give people a, a little taster of Speak Life. And then hopefully mm. they can go away inspired and and, uh, and bless others with it. I love it. That's great. Like, well, how many people are there when it's the one week thing or the five day thing? Not very many. So um, in the premises where we are, we've, we've got quite a large sort of studio space where I'm speaking to you um, from now, but we've basically got only one, uh, one other room that is about this size. So about 30 people, yeah. um, about 30 people in the room together, uh, going deep with the Bible, um, thinking hard about creativity and, and uh, thinking how to get it out there to reach the nations. I'm very excited to tell you about a new resource we're working on at the C.S. Lewis Institute. It's going to be a series of relatively short articles that answer challenging questions to the Christian faith. So less than a thousand words, which is like the front and back of one piece of paper, maybe even less than that, of questions like, why does a good God allow evil and suffering? and isn't Jesus just like all the other religious people and aren't all religions the same? And uh, the, the questions that people are likely to ask us if we get into some really good, deep conversations with them. And it's going to be a growing resource. There'll be a new, uh, a, a new topic and a piece of paper, basically, uh, for you to read and, and share with non-believers. So check it out. It's going to be, if it's not already, it will be at cslewisinstitute.org slash resources dash category slash challenging questions. Or if that's just crazy, go to cslewisinstitute.org and search for questions. I sure hope that'll help. Thanks. You know, this touches on um, that when, when Paul was preaching in Acts 17, he quoted poets who were known in, to the people that he was uh, speaking to. So his, his message, generally speaking, was a very alien and foreign message to them. You know, they thought he was, you know, kind of crazy or making stuff up or inventing things. Uh, you know, they said, they called him a babbler. They said, you know, tell us these strange ideas you're having. But in the midst of that, he quoted their poets 
And he was implying that their poets that they did receive and they, you know, uh, believed uh, were saying the same thing or at least pointing in the same direction. It, right. it seems to me that's also a big part of appreciating the arts, of looking to the art that's being created in our world today, the songs people are singing, the movies that they're watching, the shows that they're streaming, and even even the things written and created by non-Christians, and point right. to the pointers in those works of, of art. Can you speak to that a little yeah. bit? Are there are there some songs or movies or things like that mm-hmm. That you that you can say to a non-Christian friend, have you ever read that book or you ever see that? Um, you know what mm. it makes me think about, and go from there. Yeah, yeah. As you were speaking, it just uh, reminded me of uh, a song uh, I'm constantly thinking about, which is Arcade Fire, uh, Creature Comfort, and the the chorus just absolutely nails modern society. He, he talks about um, there's a boy who looks in the mirror and then there's a girl who looks in the mirror. And when it gets to the chorus, you hear what it is that they're praying. And it's, it's just fascinating in such a few amount of words. And this is what lyricism, this is what poetry allows. You can compress truth and you can sort of foreshorten the horizons that, that normally separate different ideas. And you can say, this is that. But in such a, an economy of expression, um, you can talk about how a boy and a girl are looking in a mirror and they're praying. And instantly you think, well, who are they praying to? Well, they're kind of praying to themselves. Mm. And even as they look in the mirror and the chorus says that they're praying, God, make me famous if you can't just make it painless. And it's oh, just the, it's my. just the ultimate rock and roll line. God, yeah. make me famous if you can't just make it painless. Mm. And, you know, I, I give lectures about how we live nowadays in a fame, shame culture and, you know, I kind of break down how other cultures, you know, have, have been, you know, honor versus shame cultures and some cultures have been guilt versus innocence cultures and some, you know, cultures have been power versus powerless, you know, cultures and how we're this hybrid culture in which we want to be famous um, and we don't feel guilt anymore. We, we, we feel shame and that sort of thing. And like I, I could give you an hour's lecture on that. But Arcade Fire could just sing it to you in a line, you know, God make me famous if you can't just make it painless. And you and you mm. you say that to people and they're just they're just there. They they understand what you're talking about. It it captures something absolutely um absolutely true about the human condition. I think we've got we've got to have that that knowledge of common grace that is that is out there. We are living in Jesus's universe. Mm. And and I, I I sometimes use the the analogy of Imagine if you had grown up in the Old Testament tabernacle and somehow all you had ever known was the holy place in the Old Testament tabernacle and you'd never been outside. And what would you assume? You know, you'd go to the sevenfold lampstand and you might think, oh, that's a trident. Or you'd go to the table of the bread of the presence and you might think, oh, it's a ping pong table. Or you'll see the cherubim woven into the curtains and you'll think, oh, they're Pokemon or they're monsters of some, some kind. And, but you, you can't do anything but use the raw materials of the tabernacle that is surrounding you. And you need a priest to come in and say, oh no, the, you know, sevenfold lampstand is a bit like the spirit and you, you know, the bread is like Christ and, you know, you, you need somebody to come and teach you the true meaning of it, but, but you are always using the raw materials of the tabernacle. And the truth is our friends and family 
have grown up inside a tabernacle, a, a, a giant multimedia presentation of the glory of Christ. It's, it's called reality. It's planet Earth. And they can do nothing but use the raw materials of this world. And sometimes they'll pick up something that is preaching to them of, of the spirit and they'll think it's a trident and they, they need someone to come along and, and just sort of redirect them. But mm. they will stumble upon all sorts of truths. And sometimes they will name those truths more clearly and more plain, plainly, more beautifully than, than a Christian ever has. And, and where they do that, we need to do what Paul did in the Areopagus and say, as your own poets have said, yeah. God, make me famous if you can't just make it painless. Yeah. <laughs> You know, as you're as you're quoting that line, I I I think of how C.S. Lewis said that w- when we use imagery in the imagination, we we can sneak past watchful dragons. Right. Yeah. And when people hear that song or that line, it gets through, and it and it awakens in them a pain. And a desire yes. that yes. if it was a frontal presentation, if you said, you know, um, you know, it's actually very few people in the world who are going to be famous. They would go, yes, I know. And so we shouldn't <laughs> get our expectations that we're all going to be famous. Yes, I, I agree. And, you know, um, and if we're not famous, you know, we can accept it. it's not all that painful. Yeah, you're right. But no, it didn't get through. Not the way no. that song does of no. Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd really like to be one of the people who are famous. Um, I, I think that's why I'm having a podcast. <laughs> just, just kidding. Uh, I'm only kidding. Only partially kidding. Um, no, but that's no, what but, a story but, does but, as well. Oh, yeah. Sorry? That's what a story does as well. Because as soon yes, as yes. you're imagining the girl in the mirror saying, God, make me famous, suddenly you're externalizing the problem and you're an audience member watching someone else. Mm-hmm. And you can identify the foolishness of that person when you're an audience member. Mm. Normally, we are that girl. Yeah, <laughs> normally that's right. we, we are so we, invested. We put ourselves in that right in there. When you tell a story, you're asking people to to clear off center stage, sit in the in the audience for a little while, and mm. and watch. And even even as they're watching, they're watching themselves. And so that's that's the genius of Nathan to David, isn't it? You know, I'm going to tell you a story about yeah. a man with a little ewe lamb. And David is going to shut up and listen for a bit. And it's brilliant. Mm. The, the, the thing that dethrones David is a storyteller. A storyteller just says, shut up and listen. Right? <laughs> you're, you're not in charge right now, David. I'm, ah. I'm creating a world and you yeah. have to be an audience member at this point. And then David could only see himself because of the story. And the story enables him to sit in the audience and have, have a perspective on things, which we rarely have. So that, that's another great thing about creativity. Man, so so a big chunk of today's podcast is like an appeal. It's it's a it's a, a call um, for people with gifts for creating artistic works to really pursue that because uh, our world really needs it. Our our world right. needs art and poetry and song and film and stories that that really point in good directions to the good and the true and the beautiful and that's yeah. that's uh that's what we want to see more and more of yeah. just like um and by the way I, I i'm not required to mention c.s lewis so much but come on we're talking about art and mm. if i can't mention him now i don't know when but 
So there is this story that C.S. Lewis and Tolkien were chatting and they were talking about the kinds of books that were being written and they didn't like them because they were ugly and they pointed to death and pointlessness and meaninglessness and not joy and goodness. And Lewis said to Tolkien, we'll just have to write those stories ourselves. And every time I think about that story, I pray, and may it be that God would raise up hundreds, thousands of Christians who would say, yes, I, I want to write those stories or, or uh, produce those films and write those poems. And Yes. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and as I said before, I think the way to do that is not to figure out, oh, there are these brain hacks called you know, creativity. And let's see <laughs> if we can leverage that and let's build a bridge. And what's the medium that's really working with the kids these days? I know if Arcade Fire is singing a song, why don't I you know, mimic their kinds of alternative rock and we'll call ourselves <laughs> Arcade Holy Fire and <laughs> whatever <laughs> you may. <laughs> the, the problem is Christians are always doing that sort of thing. Mm. But but what you and I, I think are, are saying is like go deep with Jesus, go deep with the scriptures that are already like it's a book full of song lyrics already. It's mm. it's a book full of poetry already. It's a book full yeah. of parables and stories and apocalyptic and all these go deep into the scriptures, let it nourish your soul. And then from the overflow of the heart, out comes the creativity into the world. And it might end up as a pop song, but it, it might end up as, I don't know, a mosaic. It might end up as a ballet. Who, who knows what it is? But you, you certainly have permission to overflow in creative ways out there in, into the world to be what Tolkien said uh, is a sub-creator. You're, you're made yeah. in the image of the creator yes. to be a sub-creator. Yes. Certainly do not stifle that. Let it yes. loose. And here's a crazy thought. Um, maybe a whole lot of people can create these kinds of works of art and they won't get famous. They won't sell yeah. millions. They'll share it with their church or their family and it'll touch the lives of two or three people, but it'll touch them in a way um, that will be really powerful and transformative. I'm, I'm thinking about a poem that a friend wrote 30, 40 years ago, and he shared it with me. It never got published anywhere. I, I, I don't know if more than five people ever saw this poem, um, but it's one of the most helpful, soothing poems I've ever read. And I go back to it every so often and just go, yes. So he wasn't famous. He, he never, he never sold a, a poem. And, but, um, but that kind of poetic language touched me in ways that, again, that, that a, a, a direct argument couldn't. Yeah. Um, and, and Tol Tolkien wrote Leaf by Niggle, um, for exactly this 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 reason you yes. know there's yep. an artist and he's gonna he's gonna paint a giant tree and he only ends up painting a leaf but in eternity he has shown you know what the, the <laughs> fullness of what that might might be and if if we've got an eternal kind of yeah if we've got an eternal outlook then there's plenty of people you can show your poem to <laughs> in eternity and there will be plenty of people blessed um so yeah let's let's have that that grander vision yeah Oh, isn't that a fun image? I'm, I'm going to show my poetry to people in eternity. And because it's heaven, they're going to be kind to me. Uh, you know, they're not going to say, get away from me. Um, 
Okay. Yeah. Hope, we have, hopefully you can uh, do some revisions, but yeah. Well, I'll have a lot of time. Um, yeah. So um, I, I don't want to stop uh, without at least mentioning your wife, Emma. She's also a poet, am I correct? And she has She's an author and writer, yeah. And can you tell us a little bit about her ministry and her books? Because I, I know that when I've heard you speak, you always mention her and mm. about uh, uh, her books. Just give us a little flavor and we'll make it a tease and hopefully we can have her as a guest sometime. Yeah. Oh, you, you ought to. Yeah. No, she is the real writer in the family. She um, she wrote uh, a new name uh, a few years ago as a memoir of uh, she's uh, she survived life-threatening anorexia um, a couple of times in her life, once as a teenager and then again in our early marriage. And she writes absolutely beautifully and harrowingly uh, about that. And people really feel understood um, when they read this book, even if you've never struggled with eating in your life. Um, she basically talks about addiction and she basically talks about the human heart and the way we keep on returning to poison as though it's our healing and, um, and the way we cut ourselves off and shrink down. And it's the number one evangelistic book I give away because the way she describes how Jesus met her in the midst of that is just the most beautiful writing. Mm. And it's captivating, and it tells her story. And then she followed up with another couple of books, including uh, A New Day, which is uh, a beautiful pastoral theology of, of how you walk with someone through struggle and sorrow and uh, with with resurrection hope. So that's beautiful. She's continuing to, to write and speak. Uh, our youngest has just started at school, and so she's got a bit more time, and she's um, starting to work on some new writing projects, but I'm not sure if I'm able to uh, disclose what they are at the moment. Okay. May maybe. She'll probably tell you, Randy, but she won't tell me. Okay. Good, good, good. Well, um, <laughs> Uh, I, I'd love to explore that and have her as as a guest because I, I know that um, uh, lots of people can be helped by that. But mm. um, well, Glenn, it's been great to reconnect. I'm going to draw this to a close. Any last thoughts you want to make sure that you get in there about the arts and poetry and story that hasn't been oh. said yet? I will give you one quote that we're always quoting here at Speak Life. Uh, so Ashley Null was a biographer of Thomas Cranmer, who was the you know the author of the Book of Common Prayer and the great Archbishop of Canterbury during the Reformation. Um, the summary of his anthropology is: "What the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies." And it's that way around. It's a very Pauline biblical anthropology, really. What the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. And I think that gives us uh, all the reason in the world to try to captivate hearts. Well said. Boy, that, that's great. That's great. Thanks so much. Uh, to our listeners, uh, check out our show notes where we've got some uh, links to resources about Speak Life and about Glenn's books and some videos. Uh, please also visit our website, cslewisinstitute.org, where we uh, aim to pursue discipleship of the heart and mind. And we hope that all these resources and this podcast uh, included will help you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind.